called? I'm called the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, y'all. So here comes the countdown. Season 1, Episode 5, Back to the Butcher. This is Fred Johnson. Um, and uh, do your thing with subtitles and sound. And here it comes. Three, two, one, and go. One, two, three, four, five. Here we go. Back to Series Station in the Miller investigation and story. Thomas Jane. Uh, so, look, it's not a spoiler that Thomas Jane dies at the end of this arc, but at the same time, he's going to read the right act to his buddy here, who was being way too bold for being a, a rookie, uh, uh, you know, Earther. Um, and uh, have a lock. I cannot remember if he comes back in season four, as in the books. Um, but he's a nice young actor. I told you, yeah. So what they do that's great, they actually stress more here with between Havelock and the pretty lady who wants to help him. This is great. Thomas Jane uh, Miller is convinced up until the end of this exchange that this woman is taking advantage of him as a prostitute. He's just trying to learn Belter language. It's not unclear. She might be taking advantage and helping him. Who cares? But what they do is... You know, his obsession with Julie is made more sad because people who like him, who's trying to help him, you know, like Havelock here, like the pretty lady who wants to help him, like uh, Art from Orphan Black, who shows up on Eros and let's get blown away by uh, Amos. Um, Um, and and so forth. People try and get in his life. And what's interesting is, is the Rosinante crew, and particularly Holden, who they are constantly at odds with, who ends up getting, being the one. And that's why it's so great at the end of season two and then to three and four that Thomas Jane, very much like uh, six, you know, Caprica six and, and Battlestar, ends up haunting uh, um, uh, Holden's mind uh, as sort of a messenger of the what's left of the proto-molecule. We'll get there. He looks in, and, and it appears that she's really trying to help him. And who can blame her? She's being very gentle, but she needs the money. Okay, here we are. It's the Tachi. They're floating all over the place. They had to burn so hard to get away from the explosion in the stealth ship. So, it's late again, or early, I should say, close to sunrise. I'm pulling another hold-in with tons of coffee. I do my best work. Um, unfortunately, at the hours when you're supposed to sleep. There's the dead Martian who saved them, and he says it would have been nice to see oceans on Mars. You know, he seems like... Did you get enough sleep, princess? So, you know, I've already been criticizing the fact that it's a little too Battlestar about how much tension is between these folks early on. It's not the case in the books at all. Now, there are a few little spats, but just sort of the attitude of them not loving each other right away is a little bit different from the book. But for dark television, again, 10 episodes times 42 minutes to create some tension and really earn the relationship. So for some reason in the book, you know, you, 
Right. Like, Alex is very seemingly incompetent and cowardly and nervous and kind of dumb. None of this is the case in the books. For some reason in the book, you know, because they can describe all the complications and complexities of the situation, you don't need all all the tension. Um, But I'm realizing as I'm watching this, this is really cool how it closes up the wound. They have to, like, regrow fingers on him. Eh, whatever you say, boss. Um, is that this actually, dis- because there's a Martian as Alex, there's a Belter, Naomi, uh, and then there's the two Earthers, Holden and Amos, who are very sympathetic, to say the least, with the Belters, is that they s- are selling the politics and the culture through these tensions in a way that, you know, in a 700-page book times eight books, you have way more time. Okay, let's get to the show. No one knows we're alive. Who just sent us a message. So, you know, again, I just want to stress one more time. The Miller story is extremely loyal to... Here's the intro music. (coughs) The intro... um, I'm sorry. The Miller story is, is extremely loyal across the board from here until his death and then coming back. Um, and so I'm just going to mostly be marveling at Thomas Jane's performance as Miller and the people around him. Here it is, Anderson Station. We don't get this in the books. Now, there's a short story. The, the Expanse guys are awesome. They do these short, audible uh, short stories that explain little nooks and crannies. And we know that Fred Johnson is called the Butcher of Anderson Station. We know that he murders a bunch of uh, basically innocent Belters. But then, as a former Earth Colonel, becomes the leader of the Belters that most of them respect, at least for now. He's even somewhat radical as a Belter. Um, and he is ordered, uh, but ultimately not really responsible or knowledgeable for murdering all these people. But he's always called the Butcher of Anderson Station. And it's you, you learn whether you listen to the short story or watch this or just research it, that it's somewhat ironic because not only is he not really responsible, he's just sort of the, you know, the, the general's not going to do it, so they send the colonel. And he's not even really aware of what's going on. And then these people aren't terrorists. They made a couple bad decisions, as be- the poor belters tend to do. Um, but that immediately leads him to leaving uh, the UN uh, Earth Military Service uh, and, you know, taking over the completely defunct, dysfunctional OPA, Outer Planets Association, Belter uh, situation, and remains loyal. Um, here it is, Fred Johnson. Cuddy. Okay, so when you first see it, you're going, okay, this is Cuddy. His intensity, though, is really subtle. As, you know, again, I, I can't stress enough the, the how s- much more subtle, but also intense in in skilled ways these characters are. Based on my initial watching, I was very cynical about TV at the time. I was doing a ton of TV shows with Matt Goisman. I was watching shows like Legion and The CW. I was just very cynical. I didn't give this enough of a chance, and I started late and then had to go back. And you know, as we'll get to late season two and season three, there were some problems. Um, but I have to say, uh, having watched this whole Leviathan Wakes arc into se- halfway through season two, so here's the debate about where you go. Now, there's a split vote. Alex and uh, 
so Naomi has a very complicated relationship, obviously, with the Butcher of Anderson Station, as all belters do. Uh, Holden, for some reason, always has a feeling. He he always says he doesn't trust Fred Johnson. He's careful around him, but at the same time, he uh, he he has a feeling that he can help him, and they end up doing tons of work for Fred Johnson. We're not going to Tycho. So it's a split vote because Amos is going to do what Naomi does, but then Amos pulls her aside later and says, Naomi, I, I'm going to do what you do, but this is our best option. Um, th- this debate happens in lots of different ways throughout the books. Um, I, 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 and what's brilliant is, again, I'm assuming you've seen all four seasons, Marco and Naris, and the fact that Naomi grew up with radical OPA, and Fred Johnson is about, you know, uh, mainstreaming OPA to be a political force, and so they didn't see eye to eye. Naomi has a very complicated relationship with both the OPA as a whole and individual members of the OPA. And again, that tension here is not being oversold and it is expressing the politics. Yep. Everything is blowing up in the belters. What's interesting is, you know, the, the increasing hopelessness and darkness, <laughs> there's actual darkness, in the belt, you know, Miller never feels at home here, uh, but the increasing feeling of hopelessness, tension, and darkness, and, you know, downward spiraling of the belt alienates him and pushes him, you know, t- with the Julie Mao case, and pushes him away from people who actually care about him, as I mentioned before. And he's about to punk someone. But what's great is a bunch of the punks that he meets along the way end up, you know, helping them on heroic missions, uh, you know, on, uh, in the route to t- t- taking care of the proto-molecule and, you know, uh, <laughs> being the sort of the special forces. I mean, that's what's great is this, this whole thing is a setup between the Martians and the Earthers for a fake war. And they blame it on the OPA, the poor people who provide all the resources. There's the the badass boss who just wants to get rid of Miller. Uh, and they blame everything on the Belters. And in the end, the Belters end up being the ones to fucking save the whole situation. We'll get there. Um, but anyways, uh, Anubis, there it is. So that is Julie Mao. It's not her sister Clarissa. They did cast a, a sister that looked very similar because that's an important plot point. Is that they have a blind guy to uh, draw Clarissa Mao, um, who's sort of undercover going after Holden in season three as a revenge thing, and they think it's Julie for a while. And it, it's not even surprising because Julie ends up being alive numerous times in this arc when they think she's dead. This is great because this is the 3D hologram stuff manipulated with hands, but it's not so uber overly colorful as is the case with uh, with Tony Stark. Miller's not even in this meeting. Who are they going after? Does she fire him here? So again, she ends up being the head of security... I think through books five and six, you know, as as a uh, as a tool of the radical OPA, old partner. Okay, is this art from Orphan Black? Who's a so- not a great, but is a solid actor. Anubis, Anubis, yeah. 
Thanks, buddy. I know you want. This is a great line. Or are we even? Yeah. I think this is to get the firing. And that's what's great, is even as they're not even at Fred Johnson and Tycho yet, they're already setting t- Thomas Jane and Root. They play this relationship absolutely great. It's a what-could-have-been situation. Um, she clearly is attracted to him. What's funny is, you know, any sane man would be attracted to not just her looks, but her brains and her charisma and her complexity, uh, you know, but she's the one who's attracted to this fuck up. Let's see. Her name is Octavia Moss, who plays Athena Karkanis. Where's the guy going to go? I get so hyped with this. There it is. Julie Mao. Ow. You're a little rich girl, but she only teases him for it being creepy. That's how well she knows him. Is this finally he tells her? Yeah, he finally. You know everything going on out there? Shitstorm, right? That's what I was saying before. Is is the downward spiral of the bell drives, you know is further uh motivation for him to leave this all behind but in the very end he ends up connecting with his people and the belters and naomi and some of the punks that come back and he realizes that as fucked up as their culture is he is a belter here it is headed for eros Uh this is great because they keep playing the epic expanse music or, or teasing up to it rather than the cheesy, uh, you know, CW or solving the crime. Ships are blowing up. Yep. He puts it all together. What's great is, I don't know if they mentioned this in, uh, in, the, in the show, but the thing that locks in uh, that he knows where Holden is and who Holden, uh, and who Holden is, is he puts together, when he hears the name Rosinante, that a guy with the personality like Holden would name the ship the Rosinante, and they can't even believe it. Um, and that's the thing, you know, this is, this is a direct mirror of Shara Agadashlu as, as Avasarala, which is they see the far long game and end up being heroes in different ways to save the universe multiple times in each in their own way. Yeah. She says, you got to take it to the brass. He's already distrustful. And when he gets fired, he's not even surprised. He, I'll do my pathetic best. Look at him. He's great. Um, yep. Let yourself out. Man, is she pretty. Just my kind of woman. Perfectly played. What could have been. You and one. Yeah, okay, so this is the flashback. Again, this didn't totally make sense. I didn't understand what was going on with Fred Johnson. Um, and you know, this again comes from a short story, which we don't get in the main books. It is canon. 
Um, but if you read all eight books, you, you know he's Butcher Vanderson Station without hearing the whole story. I love when they do this. They do this in The Witcher. It's like the final battle in season one of The Witcher, the Battle of Sodden Hill. We know is canon and happened in a very similar way with Yennefer and the magic and Triss and so forth. But it's not technically in the books. But they put it in the show because we had to see it. Now, what's interesting is I expected Fred Johnson to pull the trigger on this and immediately be guilty, but I think they framed this in such a way that he doesn't even pull the trigger, and he's just kind of the stool pigeon or whatever it's called. He's just kind of the fall guy. We have to fight back. We're not soldiers. Yep. So anyways, Fred Johnson is, is uh, I'm sorry, Miller's the direct mirror of Avasarala in that they see the far long game. Now here they go. Um, but they can't see the short and medium game that they're being used and manipulated and people who are above them are trying to throw them aside either because they're inconvenient or in uh, Christian Avasarala's case is very dangerous to the evil guy's plans. Is this the Martian? Yeah. Alex is wearing the uniform. It's a cool touch. I don't think they do that in the yeah Lopez. I don't think they do that in the um in the show where he he continues to wear the uniform for now as sort of you know I think to sort of build mental strength and also a show of, of unity. But man, the way they do episode four, where the Martians are like, you think they're going to start torturing the crew for information, but as soon as the stealth ships come and Holden's like, I know what's going on, here's what's going on, the awesome Asian captain and that guy Lopez there are like, okay, change your plans, you guys were right, we're wrong, we're getting you out of here. Life support. She's just... Fucking with stuff that doesn't need to be fuck. I ask the ship. Yeah, it, this is interesting. Again, another thing they don't really explore is that they're used to lower tech, bigger but lower tech ships. You know, these Martian ships are so advanced. They've got advanced AI. They don't really talk about AI. They don't have, you know, uh, Ghost in the Shell type AI. They don't have, you know, her type AI, any, any Scarlett Johansson AI. Here's Amos trying to talk reason into her. You know, and they, it's important to establish that Amos has a sensitive side just for her early on. You know, cause that get people killed. But she's projecting because she was involved with Marco early on and causes that get people killed. And this is what's so brilliant. Again, I couldn't have foreseen after watching one through three, you know, being very up and down in terms of my liking, thinking the show was canceled, watching four, can't, and then I went to the books. I'm like, I can't believe they're introducing Marco already in season four. And, uh, you're the coffee maker. This is great. This is the turning point for James Holden. He's like, okay, I can take on the world right now with the coffee. And he's constantly yelling at Amos. You know, uh, you know, Naomi's an engineer. Amos is an engineer too, but he likes to just be called a grease monkey. <laughs> he's always creeping up on people. You talking to me too? Oh man, he smiles. He smiles, but the danger. 
Um, but uh, he's always getting on Amos for fixing the coffee maker. He can't function without coffee, and I, I can't blame him. But it's just funny because you know Captain America, the super serum, doesn't need anything, but you know he's already got it. But our Captain America here, Holden, he needs his friends. But the one sort of you know physical chemical thing he needs is uh, is the coffee. So he's still tracking people who are related to Julie Mao. I'm not gonna. Up oh, here we go, Anderson Dawes. This is so important. Anderson Dawes is the mirror to Fred Johnson. So Anderson Dawes. Okay, so I talked about you know in the intro episode with Avasarala that the guy above her, um, Wainwright or whatever his name, uh, it was playing the short to medium game and trying to get rid of her, even as she's looking for the long game, seeing if she can survive long enough to save the solar system. Fred Johnson uh, is also doing the same thing with trying to build up the OPA respectability power, a seat at the table, as he says, but Anderson Dawes ends up being, um, uh, he's kind of a mysterious character in the books early on. Uh, you can, he's very violent and murderous right away here, you know, threatening and almost killing Miller. Um, and so when he ends up being one of Marco's, uh, tools in the, in the, you know, the big battle to come, it's not so surprising. And uh, as people slowly abandon Marcos, uh, increasingly, um, not hopeless, but, uh, you know, there's an increasing lack of confidence in Marco that he's just a charismatic leader that doesn't know what he's doing. And a, a lot of these guys flip towards the end and end up still getting thrown in prison. Anderson Dawes is one. So Anderson wants to, you know, make Ceres completely an OPA belter station, and he ends up being successful with that, I think, after all this goes down as part of the settlement. Just like Fred is um, the head of uh, Tycho Station, where the Rosinante crew is headed. Um, what's interesting is, you know, him and Fred, uh, I don't know if they're friends, but they have a sort of form of alliance. They sort of have to, being the heads of their stations, even though their politics and methods are somewhat different. They're not afraid to kill people. This guy's not nearly as principled as Fred, and Fred's always haunted by the murder, as we're about to see, of the Belters. Uh, and in the in the in the uh, butcher of Anderson station um, uh, storyline flashbacks, um, but uh, you know I, this isn't a spoiler. So guys, I'm going to talk into book five, mid book five, because they've already introduced Marco, and the season season four ends with him launching the asteroids at Earth, um, and that's what happens in the middle of book five that changes the entire series and sets the sort of apocalyptic stakes to another level. Now, I'm not going to say what's going to happen after that, but, you know, that's mid-book five that they, they, they work in the season four. And uh, Fred Johnson, the beginning of season five is everyone, the Rosinantes in the dock and all the uh, crew separate and go to their various homes to deal with things. Naomi tries to go convert her son, Philip, and talk some sense into Marco. She totally fails. Uh, Alex goes back to Mars to, you know, not reconcile, but at least have a nice talk with his wife. That backfires, but it leads to him forming a lifelong bo bond with Bobby, and they end up discovering, you know, the 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 traitorous Martians who are stealing ships and planning on going into other solar systems uh, to start their own society, and they're trying to kill the Prime Minister. Um, and uh, 
uh, Amos goes to Earth and he discovers Clarissa Mao, which, you know, I'll wait on that for now. But the coolest part is that Alex is investigating the missing ships with Bobby on Mars at the same time in a different way that Fred Johnson and, uh, and Holden are, uh, uh, come across the missing ship situation just doing investigations on Tycho. And at one point, there's so much shadiness going down on Tycho that Fred Johnson says, I can't believe I'm saying this, Holden, because there's times when I think you're a total douchebag fuck-up, but even people I trusted up to two minutes ago, I can't trust. You're the one guy I can trust. Um, And they have to work together uh, and get each other's back. Um, But Fred Johnson says... They start talking about who could be involved in the rogue, uh, you know, radical terrorist OPA uh, stuff. And they mention Marco as a possibility and a couple other people. They're not sure quite yet. Anderson Dawes' name comes up. And Fred Johnson says, if Anderson Dawes is involved in this and I have no clue, then we are really fucked. And four, like four chapters later, he sits holding down and he's like, yeah, remember when I mentioned Anderson Dawes? watch this video and they watch a video and Anderson does justifies the genocide of earth and the, the, the horrible genocidal murderous, uh, insane, uh, cause of Marco and Naris and his, his followers. Here we go. I think they just get blowed up uncondit right. They surrendering or unarmed. We have women and children copy. They put just enough of a filter but it's almost too subtle that I wasn't sure that this was in the past. Um, oh, here we go. They just blow it up. Right. And they don't say in the past. And so you have to sort of put it together that that's a flashback. Yep. Sarius is blowing up. Fred Johnson has Tycho on lockdown. They're, you know, because Fred Johnson's a great administrator and, and leader overall, uh, they actually are, are, are the best off in terms of money, in terms of stability. Sarius is a disaster. Eros says we'll see is a disaster. Um, of course, Anderson Dawes, who wants to take over as the sole leader of Sarius, is uh, behind the scenes manipulating and encouraging all of this to try and get the Earthers out. Uh, do they show the the Jesus picture of uh, of Holden? Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Um, Ganymede is one of their names, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Remember the can't. So, it, well, another thing that's not clear is even though it seems to be, other than Naomi, mostly uh, a couple Martians and a lot of Earthers. <laughs> Look at that. Amos is loving it. He, Holden's going, oh no. Oh no. This is all falling apart. I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm Che. And with, without wanting to be, uh, is that the can't is actually, uh, a, a belter ship in the sense of providing, like, that money from the ice, the ice water is, is going to the, you know, belters. It's not really clear who owns it or whatever. But the fact that they're saying, remember the can't and blaming on Earth and or Mars, you know, <laughs> obviously indicates that that's the case. Here we go. 
Here's the investigation. Does this is this where Anderson Dawes comes in and tries to kill him or threatens to kill him? So the fact that Anderson Dawes is mostly by name, uh, <laughs> Miller took care of him pretty quickly. Um, that's the last stupid thing. So he gets. The, the creepiness isn't like a sexual creepiness towards Julie, but anyone who's, you know, had sexual things or desires or whatever, like this guy who may have slept with her, wanted to sleep with her, he just rips them apart. And Miller just ends up being more and more of an asshole. And that's directly reflective of the book. And, you know, that's a lot to ask from an actor who's very charismatic and could be, you know, tormented but lovable. You know, and he is tormented but lovable, but he's just picking a fight with everyone. And it's misguided. I mean, ultimately, his relationship with Julie at least temporarily saves the solar system and and leads to the Stargates and everything and blah, 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 blah in season three and four. But it is ultimately misguided in that millions of people die from the, the proto molecule and Julie's at the center of it. Um, and the relationship with her dad being at the center of the creation of it is, is both fascinating and complicated and hard to, to untangle, disentangle. Everyone's trying to give a sob story. He's so bitter. He's he's trying to read through the sob stories. He's heard all, the, all this before. I like the way this guy's sitting. He got his butt kicked. He almost looks a little paralyzed. I don't think he is. He's just tired because he got his ass kicked. By Miller. You're one of us now, right? You admired her. Yeah. How long were you sleeping with her? Jealousy. Yeah, there's jealousy. He is in love with Julie. It's bizarre. It's 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 inexplicable. And, and it, uh, what you don't see coming in The Expanse, both in the first season and a half, or if you read Leviathan Wakes or both, is... It, it's such hard science and they don't really talk about God, even though missionaries and some religious figures do come in. They don't really appeal to God that much, but what you don't see coming is the proto molecule and Julie and the ghost of Miller. There ends up being a really spiritual aspect to everything, which is key in this genre where you think it's near future science fiction, but they're actually tapping into civilizations that are billions of years old. And so it's almost like gods and supernatural beings and so oh, there's the guy and so you have to almost you know he buy that he has some weird spiritual connection with julie in the end he kind of holds her hand as he tries to convince her you know at the end of all this not to crash into earth and kill everyone and he kisses her hand but it, even in the book it's described as almost fatherly and that's the nice touch is when he finally meets the actual Julie Mao, which he doesn't expect, his immediate reaction is to be a fatherly, paternal, uh, protective figure and not a sexual, um, uh, romantic figure. You should have stopped her. No one can stop her from doing anything. You should have protected her. And he's, put, he's putting it on himself, too, as Miller. So, again, the the the... Three of the main characters, Fred Johnson, Cuddy, this guy here, Miller, and Avasarala, are all playing their own versions of the long games, and they all get screwed. Uh, Fred Johnson, not so much in this season, um, but he will get screwed. Yeah, he always lets the guys go. 
Um, you know, they always get screwed and almost die, threatened, tortured, whatever, in the short and medium term, because they're so focused on what they should be focused on, and that's what we want in our leaders, but because of how politics works, you get short-term thinkers. There she is. So it's, you know, her being the main... Here it is. Here's the, here's the murder, the butchering of Anderson Station. So, you know, Julie being the central hub of the proto-molecule and, and sort of the godhead of it, if you will, we'll see how this does explaining it. The book doesn't really do it in, in you know, a thousand pages or whatever. But again, it's forces billions of years old beings so powerful you can't even possibly imagine. There's the daughter. This is so sad. This is the Battlestar stuff. You know, it's like when Rosalind sees the little girl and then they have to jump and they're like, uh, President Rosalind, the little girl ship can't jump. She gets blowed up by the Cylons in the very first episode. We can still be heard. This is so cool because we don't get a lot of Rosinante. This is a Miller episode. And what's great is... If you don't know the story, this whole thing here is a, a, a Fred Johnson episode, but you don't even see it coming. Four days, right, Anderson. And what's ironic is Anderson Dawes is named after this Anderson station. And they even say sorry, and we fucked up, and we're surrendering, and we have kids. This is absolutely brutal. You know, they do tug on the heartstrings intentionally um, uh, pulling it, you know, pulling those strings hard at times. But because of the great acting of these side characters and this little girl here and everyone, I think they just blow it up. Here it comes. So Colonel Fred Johnson, who's considered a hero for his work, is right coming up. And we haven't even known that yet. If this is your first time through, look at the way they, you know, it's like 12 frames per second or whatever. And with the, with the filter transmitting, tried to surrender, but I think this is just a sudden explosion. Oh man. This guy's nailing it. There it goes. Gone. And... Now is this the pan up to Colonel Fred? Oh uh, man, is this this is the guy with with his daughter floating in space? It's never clear, you know. People just sort of float, die, and they turn into icicles. And yeah, here he is. I think the vacuum of space just explodes your body, and it's just never portrayed that way. But you can't do it because you need these moments. Oh man. I mean, if you're going to die with your daughter in a horribly tragic situation, and here comes the Butcher of Anderson Station, watch Cuddy's, I'm sorry, watch Chad Coleman's face here, subdued, watch his face, look at, well done, Colonel, here it comes, there it is, Colonel Fred Johnson, the Butcher of Anderson Station, He's absolutely more, I think mortified is the word to use here. You will not be harmed. 
oh, this is great. He not only helps them change the transponder code, but it tells them that they have to. Do not deviate. You know, Holden talks about how there's always a menacing, aggressive scariness of Fred below the surface because he's not murderous in the sense of being impulsive about it, um, but he, the threat is always there with his power, his temper, and, and his tortured past. Here it is. Here's the Rosinante. And the reason he calls it Rosinante, which they explain in a later episode, they say, you know, Amos comments that it means war horse, but more importantly, it's Don Quixote's horse. And, you know, the famous Don Quixote story, even for people who haven't read Cervantes, is that Don Quixote is always looking for enemies to fight, but they're usually fake enemies, and he's completely misguided. You know, the, uh, Cervantes was writing a satire about... Uh, Screaming Firehawk, let's just broadcast it. You know, Cervantes was writing a, a scathing satire about the people in charge of Spain, to say the least, during the Inquisition. And he did it through Don Quixote, which just seemed like a comedy. Uh, right, workhorse. I like it. I knew a lady named Rosadante, workhorse? Yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, but it, it's explained, and actually there's an episode coming up called... Um, called windmills um and you know the famous saying is or the famous story i should say is a scene where don quixote he he's so desperate to be valiant as a knight he sees a windmill and convinces himself that you know it, that's the enemy he's gonna charge the windmill and there's a saying uh, tilting at windmill or cha- or charging windmills it, it, it used to mean um uh you know, being deluded and going after false enemies or non-existent enemies, but it actually has expanded. They got their ship and they're smiling. The family's starting to get together. That's important. You get the ship name and they're all there for it. Um, But tilting at windmills, uh, you know, has been expanded to mean fighting hopeless or hopeless seeming battles, which is a Captain America. Chris Evans, Captain America. And is this Captain America... Is he really going to throw away the Julia picture? Um, and is is Holden too? And it's not just self righteousness and self importance, which is part of it, but it's because they just have a moral compass and they don't know what else to do. They don't know what else to do, and they have to fight the battles. And they have to fight those battles, and that's that is the central thing that ties together the Rosanati crew and Bobby and ultimately Fred and Avasarala is that as the situation continues to get worse and worse and worse they keep fighting because you know as flawed as they are and they can be total assholes you know they they don't want the galaxy and the universe to end and they're everyone they love to die and so they fight the battles because they don't know what else to do and we need those people in our world you know we've got the virus killing people war is is on the horizon i'm sure environmental disaster we need a lot of talented ideological people um who are willing to fight and maybe we're doomed people you know i'd like to think we're not but whether we're doomed or not we need to fight those battles and if you're listening to this take hope in that you 
whether we win or not in the end, or, or, or it's a, a stalemate somewhere in between, and it's certainly not going to happen in our lifetimes, that you know we can realize ourselves in an existentially powerful way just by fighting the battles, win or lose. Ooh, rats. Manipulation. Is that just giving him ideas? Yeah, episode 7 is called Windmills. Here's Amos. Now it's their ship. They got their rooms. They got the name. Oh, is this where he spray paints? Yeah, I got this gif. I think he goes outside and spray paints Rosinante. Amos is so loyal. And now he's sold. Now that he convinced Naomi to, to join Holden's idea, um... He's on board. Yep. The tragic family story of Kamal, who should be a great family man, but is addicted to the piloting and the burn. Here we go. He loves the sound. Listen to him. It's like his Bose headphones. He's smiling. Oh my God, look at all that fresh coffee. He can't believe it. He, he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he might have just started the war and made himself into a messiah figure. He's got fresh coffee. Is it going to come out? Amos is drinking. Yeah, you know. They all need their substances. Look at Holden. He's in pure heaven. And they know how to tickle Holden's balls, so to speak, by giving him fresh coffee when he needs... Something. Naomi's tormented, and, and the thing is, it's the, I, I talk about how Naomi it, it, they have the most problems with, but it's only because they actually had the long view, assuming they would get to season four and five with Marco and her crazy backstory of being an extremist in the OPA back in the day, and so it's a really long burn with Naomi. Nope, here's another rat. The Great Expanse music. Oh man. Yeah, most shows, even if they have some of this great epic music, you know, have the sort of P.I. crap in the middle. Nope, not The Expanse. Straight Hans Zimmer style. Just get your sound, get your noise, and just ride it. Ride it all the way. He puts it in his hat. This is where he gets fired. Oh, man. Uh, This is... Is this Dawes? This is the Dawes thing? Yeah. So the next episode... Yeah. So the next episode is the meeting with uh, with, with Fred Johnson, um, which is critical, again, going even beyond the four seasons that we've seen. And, you know, Dawes, again, threatening um, uh, uh, Miller, which is not really that important in terms of the narrative of the first book, Leviathan Wakes. Um, but oh, what I was going to say earlier, uh, and I'll let you go, and I'm going to take a break, and we'll go to episode six, Rock Bottom, is that Anderson Dawes is um, both mysterious and scary because he's constantly being talked about as a powerful figure in the book, but not really showing up. 
Um, but it, it would have been almost impossible to make people both interested and, you know, uh, slightly knowledgeable or aware of, of Anderson Dawes as a, as a character and how important he is. Again, setting up the long burn with Marco many seasons from now um, without, you know, uh, giving him a, a more present, you know, physical role. Um, and, and so, again, I, I, you know, I, I keep looking for little things to criticize, like I was criticizing, you know, uh, Lopez, the second in command of the Barsha chip for being a little too mean, but then he ends up being a hero and saving them and getting them off the ship. So, so far, the side characters and the main characters nailing it. Episode 6 called Rock Bottom. Uh, uh, the summary is Holden's team makes an uneasy alliance with Fred Johnson while Miller fights for his life against Anderson Dawes. Um, it's not a holding action episode, but you need an episode where the characters are just the characters, and, and you know, that's the first time Naomi and, and Holden get drinks together and start sharing. Um, and, uh, but then it's not long for the Rosadati to go up against the Martians and Avasarala to get involved, and then Eros, and they meet Miller. And though that's what I was gonna say is, if you are familiar with the story, you know, it seems like a number of episodes are going to have to happen before Miller meets up with the Rosinante crew. But in the next two episodes, while it seems on the surface to just be character stuff, all of a sudden Miller figures it out and they end up on arrows together, which is how it is in the book. Um, and while it's a few more pages in the book, you know, uh, it, 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 the, the feeling of it is, is just as sudden. And that's how brilliant Miller is. And him getting fired, obviously, is the best thing that could happen. So thanks for joining me. Rock Bottom is next, episode six. Um, uh, we are halfway through the season and we're going to try and rock through this. Um, uh, uh, as I've gone through back through the episodes and the books and so forth, you know, I'm trying to decide, do I want to release it all at once, especially because there's the 10 episode first season and then there's the five in the second season. Uh, and, uh, so I have to decide how to do it, but I think I'm going to release it season by season, even though this story doesn't fully wrap, uh, until sort of mid next season. Um, and so if you're listening to this, hopefully all 10 episodes of first season at least are out. So thank you for joining me. We're about to jump into episode six, but for now, the bizzle is out.